Namaste to everyone, all the brothers and sisters, co-travelers on the path of the infinite. So just a brief introduction so that after which we can take up the questions. Some are already there with me. Philosophy is the effort of the mind to arrive at knowledge. Just as religion is the effort of the heart and the life instincts to discover something which is beyond the human frame and put it into practice in life. So, philosophy is the effort of the mind. Ordinarily, philosophy begins with sense observations, perception, to which we apply reason and thereby arrive at some kind of a philosophical system. This is the approach primarily taken in the West. In India, it is called darshan. So, we believe that sense observation and uh, intellectual knowledge is not sufficient to arrive at knowledge itself. So, here philosophy is based on the soul perception. So, it's become spiritual philosophy. That's how scriptures come into existence. They are born out of the vision of the soul, the spiritual experience. And then with that spiritual experience, one tries to understand what this world is and what is the relation between what one has experienced and this world. So, two, three things here uh, to make it clear. It's an effort to understand what's, what kind of knowledge. One, who am I? This is a fundamental knowledge. Second, what is this world in which, which we inhabit? And third, what is the relation between me and the world? This is the basic aspect of philosophy. Now, in the Western philosophy, by and large, we remain confined within this circle. In Indian thought, we go back to another level, and which is, is there a source, the origin to this world? In Western thought also it is there, but it's like ultimately it ends up largely in agnosticism because there is no mental way to really understand what could be the possible source. Well, there is a source which we may not be able to know. But in Indian thought, there is yoga and yoga leads us to a kind of first a direct experience of the divine or rather an indirect contact leading to direct experience and then degrees of identification with the divine. And then from each of these peaks, we look upon creation and ourselves and re-understand, re-adjust, reorient ourselves to who we are and the life we lead and this world that is in existence. So based on that, we have several schools of philosophy which have come up. So Though, you know, we see that there is a kind of uh, sometimes quarrel between these, but they are just three different, three or four different vantage points from which one is seeing the infinite. Because the one is infinite and one single vision, one single experience doesn't exhaust him. So, for example, we have the classical Advaita experience of philosophy where there is only one. And all other phenomenal existence, phenomenal experience based on perception, based on cognition, they are all ultimately are resolved back into the one, drawn back. So it's a kind of monism and the classical example is the sea and the waves. Now waves look as if they are different existence but next moment they collapse and they are one with the sea. So this is the classical Advaita where there is an illusion of separateness and this separateness collapses back into the ocean and has to become one with the ocean. So this is the classical Advaita. Then there is a qualified monism, which is Visishtadvaita. So what is Visishtadvaita? It's like the light and the vibrations. They are one. But at the same time, each vibration, though it is from the same source, there is an ultimate identity. Yet it is different when it comes to manifestation. So it accepts the manifestation, doesn't call it an illusion, but always remembers that ultimately there is a basic identity uh, or oneness. And then there is, of course, Dvaita. Now, Dvaita is the, the example that Shurabindu gives, which is a wonderful example. Is 
that there is a the infinite which is in its own right exists and the finite now there is a constant attraction between the two and they are pulled towards each other now the beauty the the simile that comes is of the river entering into the sea so there is a point where the river merges into the sea attracted by the sea helplessly um but river has its distinct identity and the ocean has its distinct identity it is not like the waves and the ocean it is not like the light and the vibration they are two very distinct things and yet the two have a tendency to be drawn so when we seek pure knowledge then we see advaita appeals because you know we, we want to arrive at that kind of oneness when we seek um, some principle of action uh, then we see that vishishta um, advaita because there is a di- there is a difference in unity and when we seek uh, the divine through the emotions through you know a kind of attraction through love then we see that dvaita where one um, you know the advantage of dvaita is like one is adoring the adored though eventually one knows that the adorer and the adored are one and yet there is the joy of this uh, adoration this service uh, so these are three different vantage points then there are several sub schools then of course there is Uh, the philosophy of sankhya and we'll touch upon it uh, as and when probably there are some questions also but these are the three principal schools but then there are unanswered questions in these schools for instance if there is an essential oneness how come differentiation came into existence so in a classical advaita it's like you know there is the imposition of maya there is no oneness is never really lost but there is a sense of seeming of differences multiplicity which is a kind of illusion a trick um of the ego and get rid of this illusion and there is oneness now this creates sudden problems both practical and metaphysical the uh, if there is only such a state multiplicity is just an illusion then by one person's withdrawal into the one there would be a complete cessation of existence second problem with this is that if there is no real individuality whether egoistic or the deeper soul individuality if, if it's just an illusion then who gets liberated who is bound who is free who is making the effort to freedom so this is the second big question that comes with it with vishishta advaita again it's nice that there is a differentiation as well as a unity but why this differentiation has come about for what purpose and all three schools eventually strive towards the unity with the divine union with the divine in some form or the other but the big challenge here is that why all this creation why go into all this why the soul has to experience if there is a soul at all to start with a you know <laughs> uh, that state that if there is a soul at all why it goes through all this drama of experiencing through lives and after all these lives it goes back to a state which it already was now even if you say that individual soul realizes certain kind of perfection which is inherent in the one and it has to go through it and realize its own perfection then after the perfection when it merges into the divine then what purpose is all this creation about so what is the this entire and this cosmos is not uh, just an ordinary cosmos it's uh, you know uh, you can see the dance of shakti in it so there have been attempts to reconcile it one such attempt to reconcile it of course we know is the um, chatushpad brahman that it is one brahman but this one reality is in four different states of consciousness it expresses itself so one is the waking state in which we have the virat waking of course is not just our waking state but the outer material existence so that which is tangible perceivable by the senses and that uh, there is a pers- 
perception based on which there is this wonderful magnificent galaxies stars drifting in space and all the things that the senses can perceive so this is the uh, virat who is vast then there is behind virat there is another so there is uh, the soul of this material nature then there is behind the virat there is hiranyagarbha so hiranyagarbha is the conceptual truth here there is the self which conceives all things and creates so material universe as the creation this is the creation and then there is the creator so creator is the hiranyagarbha and this is the second level the swapnavastha in which things are um taking shape they have not taken complete shape but they are beginning to take shape and they are coming closer and closer to earth and then they express themselves and then there is a third um, level at which it is uh, causal so we have the perception the world of perception then the world where things have been conceived and put into play the creative consciousness so perceptive consciousness the creative consciousness and then we have the causal consciousness which is pragya out of which a selection is taken by hiranyagarbha out of which a selection is brought out into the material universe and this wonderful creation and there is a fourth which is absolute which is though it has given a sanction to this paradox of creation yet it is above and transcends it so one of the questions was with regard to these four states so the typical sanyasin the old traditional sanyasin's view point is that though this is a way to say in very wonderful terms that basically it is that one which has come right out up to the material creation so we have to understand that play but um, the typical solution the sanyasin offers is that these are lesser and lesser and we should go back to the original uh, turiya state and uh, be done with virat done with hiranyagarbha the waking the sleep and the the dream and the sleep state pragya and then be absorbed in that ultimate absolute now this kind of a solution is um, shorbindo does not accept it because it is not a unifying solution so ultimately knowledge the purpose of knowledge is to unite so this solution divides what is one the upanishad is saying it's one reality it is not saying it is two realities or four realities chatushpad there is one reality which expresses on all these four planes but when we try to say that ultimately in trance we go into the absolute then again the mind has created a schism between creation and creator so this is um, you know not acceptable in shorbindo's thought Uh, then there is another attempt to synthesize and that is a beautiful attempt which shorbindo takes at uh, great length which also i see there were some questions it is done in the gita so in the gita the divine has a threefold poise it's about you know when we speak about sharobhav akshar and purushottama it is with relation to the with nature it is a bhava we'll come to the soul aspect a little later so the divine enters into the mutable world of becomings so shar is becomings it's ever changing ever changing shar it's nothing which it, it it is born it comes into existence and then it goes away passes out of existence into some state of unknowable so it in this constant becoming the divine is flowing in its current so that is the shar bhav and as it flows in the current it seems as if he is bound by it but actually prakriti is yet being dictated by this secret will which is present in the sharobhav because it is the divine he is. so he is there and prakriti is doing his bidding even though it seems that basically he is at the mercy of prakriti and to take a typical example please don't take it as an absolute example and you know it is the relation between a man and a woman in a house so um, uh, 
uh, the woman knows what the man is man likes to eat well nowadays we can change the example because you know it's the age of um, shakti so man is preparing things in the house <laughs> but let's take the traditional example where a woman is preparing things in the house and the man comes and he's sitting so what is he doing he is waiting for the meal whatever the woman has cooked he eats it but mind you she is still doing what he actually would love to eat so that is a kind of relation where outwardly to a person who is just looking at appearances it would seem there is a prakriti who is just doing things arbitrarily and the purusha is subject to it but he is never really a subject still he is it is his will which is being done it's like a child to whom the mother provides everything and the child Uh, yet the mother is taking into consideration all that the child needs to grow up so this is one the sharabhav beyond the shar there is the immutable brahman the impersonal vast extension that which has the ability to separate completely from the field of nature and become the witness in sharabhav the divine seem the one seems to be plunged in multiplicity and lost there as if he is lost in the mutable becoming he is flowing with it but in immutable the akshara brahman he is separating himself from this nature free entire field of nature so he is freed he is uh, in a state of utter freedom and ordinarily this is where the sankhya doctrine comes in that the sharobhav doesn't use that word but is because the movements of prakriti are reflected in the purusha when the purusha withdraws back it's like that story of narcissus where he is looking into the pond and he sees his own image and confuses it to be himself and feels that the image he is moving when the waves are undulating but he can suddenly withdraw himself from that and realize that actually it is not he he is the same immobile um, witness to this whole drama and when he does that there is the freedom now there a big problem comes is that well if that be the case what does a person do so one uh, method was to withdraw from the mutable into the immutable uh, another was to alternate between two states so yogins would often speak about that you know the karma which is still required uh, either the shesh karma or which has to be exhausted they must continue doing but stay in a state of uh, witness time to time they withdraw into this immutable and be done with it but the gita takes this reconciliation to another step so it says other than the shar and the akshar and superior to them and one that holds the other two in its own um uh, vast embrace is the purushottama the uttam purusha and the gita calls it as the uttam rahasya it is the greatest secret it brings in the uttam purusha who has the akshara and the shar akshara is nothing else but you know um he has become this akshar brahm and that's why when arjuna asked shri krishna that well tell me which is uh, those yogins who strive by tapasya towards the akshar brahm uh where do they go and shri krishna says they to come to me because even akshar brahm is nothing else but it is the purushottama who has taken that poise uh, he says they to come to me uh, because shri krishna has told uh, arjuna earlier that akshar brahma parmam it's better to you know arrive at knowledge than work so arjuna is a bit uh, taken aback he what should i do so he says they to strive ultimately they to come to me but what i am telling you is a more complete path why because the purushottama is not just beyond akshara but he has become the akshara and the shara so it is he who is manifesting himself in this creation and therefore the purpose of creation is no more mukti mukti is yes, freedom from ignorance is a fundamental uh, realization that one has to have freedom from the sharobhav but it is about the 
लोक संग्रहार्थ सर्वभूतानीन ऑल बिकमिंग्स इट इज द डिवाइन हु इज देयर एंड वॉट इज इ डूइंग ही इज मैनिफेस्टिंग देयर फॉर श्री कृष्णा ब्रिंग्स दिस न्यू वंडरफुल आई वोट यूज द वर्ड कंसेप्शन बट द ट्रूथ ऑफ लीला सो इट्स नॉट माया इनफैक्ट इज सेज इट्स माई माया यू कैंट गो बियॉन्ड इट इट इज लीला एंड वॉट इज लीला लीला इज ए मैनिफेस्टेशन ऑफ द डिवाइन इन क्रिएशन एंड थ्रू क्रिएशन सो वॉट इज नेचर अप टू नेचर इज मैनिफेस्टिंग ऑल दैट इज देयर इन द ultimate divine reality and then we understand the chaturprad brahman in a new way we start looking at it from above downwards that's what the gita speaks of the ashvatthama tree so there is this ultimate reality the absolute and it connects with pragya so all that is there within it as possibility infinite possibility pragya draws a selection out of that and maybe for a particular four cycles you know chaturyog out of that the hiranyagarbha draws still um certain possibilities and then out of that possibilities certain things get manifested in the material universe what has this got to do with our soul individual life the same thing because there are only two immutable realities one is the infinite and the second is the finite soul so they are the ones immutable realities so they uh, ultimately even the finite soul goes through all the same stages and it has all these Uh, three or four possibilities one is it is completely uh, submerged by nature when it is anish it's a little baby it's the soul is the jiva the jivatma where does it come from it is not sharobhav sharobhav is relation of the divine with prakriti something similar happens to the soul so this soul has emerged as a portion of the divine para prakriti jivabhuta it is the divine mother who has brought the soul out of the supreme divine Uh, it's a portion of the divine, and therefore it has entered into this mutable world of becomings. Why has it entered into this world to help the process of the divine manifestation, to express, to manifest something of the divine? So perfection here is not the perfection of withdrawal from this universe into the ultimate reality, which is in a way a perfection which is meaningless because the divine is already perfect, but an expression of that perfection which is inherent in the divine. in existence in the manifested universe so in the first step it is a niche it is covered by prakriti it doesn't know itself and yet even though it seems that prakriti is dragging the purusha the little soul here and there and everywhere yet is it actually making it grow so all experiences of life are essentially to help it grow and reach a point where it begins to question itself who am i then this enters into sakshi so just like we have the sharobhav and we have the um akshar so the individual soul has these two poisons which is very similar to that one is anish it is not ish it is not lord it is as if driven by the mutable mutability of nature and if one looks at it uh, purely from the surface nature point of view one believes that there is no soul because all that one sees is a movement of nature that's how buddha saw it but there is this element which is flowing with nature you know sometime when you see uh, the play of uh, sunlight or the moonlight over waters you will get this experience that water is flowing but something you know a ray a little droplet of the moon or the sun is also flowing with it it's very interesting so it is something of the divine is a portion is flowing within it seems to be bound and yet it is a portion of the divine and can free itself so then the next step is when it becomes sakshi so when it becomes a sakshi it has the possibility of 
merging with the you know immutable brahman the akshar brahman and be dissolved out of creation but it is a third possibility and that is of becoming the ish the lord so we have these two words very interesting which are used prabhu and vibhu so prabhu is lord and but the lord lord is not just above he is also vibhu he is the all encompassing reality so we have the prabhu and the vibhu so when the soul becomes the ish then it becomes master of nature and it can express it can participate in the play as a jivan mukt it's completely you know the whole chapter on nirvana and works in the world it is inwardly free and outwardly it is doing nothing else but the bidding of the divine uh, who is beyond the bidding of the purushottama that typical image of uh, krishna and arjuna nar narayana Uh, he is living in the divine consciousness so his mad bhava mad gata this is a higher possibility uh, for the human soul which has been revealed to us in the gita uh, but then again the question remains but still uh, what is this manifestation to what extent it will go what we see is the three play of three gunas sattva rajas and tamas so if these gunas remain the same the soul when it is acting it will still come within Uh, this framework and act, even though it is inwardly free, meaning thereby that one may have, um, you know, gone beyond the law, but when one operates, one is still within the law. You cannot change it. So there, Shurvinda brings in that this nature itself, this inferior nature, um, apara prakriti itself has come from para prakriti. So apara prakriti is the first stage of our schooling, and then to manifest the para prakriti, which Sri Krishna speaks of his own prakriti. it is his prakriti so that must manifest through the individual soul and there in the development of the individual soul into a psychic being which becomes the nodus through which the para prakriti can act manifest and transform earthly life now this aspect of the individual soul manifesting the para prakriti and what is para prakriti but nothing else but divine nature and that includes basically is the supramental truth super, what is the supermind supermind is the divine nature it is omniscience it is omnipotent it has within it the intensities of divine love divine ananda all aspects of the divine infinite aspects are there united in the supermind so we can simply use the word divine consciousness divine nature but right now it is covered by a veil because we were still going under the schooling process of apara prakriti the gita hints at this higher possibility but doesn't take us uh, into through the door because you know while in the lower nature we have to act according to swabhava and swadharma what is swabhava it is the divine own in the mutable world it is something of that impulsion is embedded in the soul so that's why it is swabhava and swadharma based on which we act and even though we act within the circumscribed boundaries of nature yet we can become inwardly free through that process by living life like that but shurvindu speaks of transformation of the gunas themselves because lower prakriti is nothing else but a lower current and we can take it like this that in olden times when the electrical current started so we had this wiring we had these bulbs and uh, i think some of us may have experienced the bulbs were 40 watt 60 watt bulb was considered very good 100 watt was like ultimate limit and if somebody put it used to consume a lot of electricity but there was always this fear will the wire snap or will the filament so they used to say no the bulb has a filament which can bear the 100 watt but wire still could snap because the current could not so much current could not flow through 
now we have so much possibility and capacities why because that wiring has been changed so lower nature the currents of lower nature flow into these three inferior modes sattva rajas and tamas because the soul in its nascent stage cannot bear nature cannot bear that you know it has to have that nodal point so when the soul develops and becomes a full fledged psychic being then there is a possibility that this current of the higher nature can transform uh, tamas into self existent peace rajas into consciousness force conscious force of the divine and sattva into the delight and wisdom that is operating in creation so this is the basic plan that should be the offers to man we will see in this uh, hints of different aspects of dvaita dvaita uh, i mean the school of indian philosophy there is vedanta in it shobindo also says there is one reality uh, just as advaita says but his advaita is not confined to that one reality uh, minus creation he includes the creation like the chatuspad brahm but takes it to its ultimate limit there is also in it vishishta dvaita in the sense we have our ultimate sohamasmi is an ultimate truth but this does not negate manifestation just as the divine um, creates and enters into creation he does not negate it so we too can live like him so this is the second aspect this is also the dvaita aspect the love and adoration of the finite soul for the infinite so all these three schools of philosophy find here um, different aspects uh, sankhya of course is a little incomplete because it speaks of only two poises not the third one and the gita brings in that element of purushottama which is very much there in shobindo's yoga but there is also in shobindo's yoga something which is missing in all these schools which are primarily vedantic and it is that aspect of tantra vedantic schools explain the relation of soul with nature and soul with the divine but they do not explain nature nature is either maya or it is leela or it is prakriti these are the three poises that different ways of looking at it prakriti when it comes to the individual purusha generally it is considered a jad but if you look at the operations of prakriti doesn't look like jad behind prakriti beyond prakriti it is maya brahman who is one and indivisible it creates a sense of divisibility and beyond it of course it is shakti which uh, the tantra tried to discover which was a wonderful attempt but again it took us through the road of nature but ultimately shakti was meant to liberate us into the um, that ultimate absolute so the meaning of creation why we are here are we just tied just like that are we just like suna shape bound as a sacrificial goat to be sacrificed at the altar of the uh, forces of nature uh, what is the meaning and purpose of it all if ultimately we had to return back to the origin then why there is all this big drama not just a small little drama this is this analogy of wave and ocean is very nice if we if our existence was like a wave we came out of the divine within 2 minutes we went back this is wonderful but it is not just 2 minutes it's ages and those ages are not simple we have to go through the real real adventure so surely there is a deeper purpose and meaning and that deeper purpose and meaning we find not in the traditional vedanta Uh, traditional vedanta is ultimately its moksha liberation from the state of bondage but moksha in shobindo yoga is a first step to entering into the fullness of the manifestation what we see is an incomplete manifestation man is a transitional being that's what shobindo says and the manifestation has to become complete perfect it should become as perfect as what we find at the heights and deep within so the divine perfection has to be manifested here rather than we have to annul ourselves by 
joining the divine perfection so he completes the whole cycle of evolution to say that the soul must free itself from nature is wonderful but it doesn't complete the cycle of the soul's evolution what is the next step it enters into creation as a jivan mukta works as an instrument or channel of god but this also does not complete it next is that this uh, jivan mukt state of the soul which has developed to its fullness also is expressing itself through a transformed human nature then we can say that soha must mean the real sense not only in my soul i am one with the divine but even in my nature i am one with the divine nature so we have this sadharma gati sayujya gati salokya gati and samipya gati all these four kinds of liberation uh, come through this yoga uh, taking the cue from the vedantic lore so this in brief and nutshell is the vast canvas of shirbindo's yoga philosophy on which the yoga is based it is based on his own experiences he had the experience of the maya he speaks about it he had the experience of shri krishna very intimately he had the experience of the sharo bhav akshar and the purushottama he had the complete experience of the tantra through all this kundalini and all the powers which came to him uh, often unasked for and thereby when he created a synthesis he basically uh, took all these incomplete strands in indian philosophy and took them to the grand reconciling joining point and what is that joining point where world and god grow true and one brahma satyam namithya jagat satyam namithya leelaarth the jagat is for the leela and we have to remember we are ananda se putra amrita se putra and just as god is manifesting himself in the world we as his portions must participate in this divine project to manifest him so we become co-sharers of his divinity to end with this line from savitri his nature we must put on as he put ours and that's the secret of the avatar which you don't find in typical traditional vedanta his nature we must put put on as he put ours our life is a his human portion we must grow divine our life is a paradox with god for key in god these are reconciled our mind divides this is this state of brahman that from that discard it enter into that is the division created by the mind between creator and the creation and the absolute but in the experience of the absolute there is no such division he can withdraw from creation if he likes but it is he who has entered into creation and flows with every nerve and cell and atom of existence so i don't want to prolong the <laughs> monologue so let's have the interaction some questions are here which uh, i am not sure if they have already been answered but if you want we can take them up as you wish um, nandan bhai so yes um should we take these questions uh, yes. which are already there with uh, me yes yes i think uh, uh, shall i read out those questions for your benefit yes as you wish I, because uh, yeah uh, dr b r bhid a great scholar of shri arvindo's works has these questions uh, his first question is as follows in the synthesis of yoga in page number 341 shri arvindo clearly says from our point of view these that is the virat the hiranyagarbha chatushpatriya are practical distinctions made with the mind which have a value for certain purposes but no ultimate value but in savitri on page 680 and 81 shri arvindo tells that in him the fourfold being bore its crown beginning from this line he goes on to explain the virat 
Hiranyagarbha, the Prajna and the Ashtanga yes, appeared before yes. Savitri, all inculcated in oneself. Had they been yes. created, therefore, the question is here. Had they been created by mind, how could they appear inculcated in the Supreme Self, the two before Savitri, who, vanquishing the death, had stood alone facing the Lord of Lords, the Paramatma? So that I think I already answered what he is speaking of the distinctions that the mind draws. If you see that whole passage, it starts with the old sannyasa. So sannyas, the mind of the sannyasin, mind creates a distinction that they are separate and distinct. There is no distinction as far as the divine reality is concerned. But the mind creates a distinction. It's not that... Uh, you know, mind has created pragya, mind has created hiranyagarbha. No, he is not saying that. These are self-existent realities, which Shurabindo very much, uh, not only in Savitri, several places he has spoken about it. But the mind has created a distinction, a division between the waking and the dream and the pragya and the absolute. What Shurabindo is saying is that while these distinctions have a certain practical utility, means how do things enter into the physical world? They enter through the dream world. So it has a practical distinction that, you know, at the most outer level we can say that, well, what we dream, the dreams of today and imaginations of today are earthly realities of tomorrow. So it has a practical point. But we should not believe that the uh, waking world and the dream world, they are completely, you know, either diminished realities or they have ultimately nothing to do with the, uh, you know, the transcendent Brahman who alone is. So, in fact, the traditional thought contradicts. So the Upanishad has shown all of them as one reality. Though it has not said what is happening through these layers. But it has shown very clearly they are one reality. But the sannyasin created a distinction. The distinction was that, well, all these are one Brahman, but you have to dwell upon the absolute Brahman who is other than, which is Turiya, this Samadhi, this withdrawal into Samadhi. Now, this is what Shurabindo is saying. It is a division created by the mind. In the divine, there is no such distinction because he is one. He is as much one when he is into the least atom of existence. That is what the other Upanishad says. When it says, out of the full came the full. And yet, if you sub- subtract it, yet it remains the full. So that is what he is reminding us that all this is one Brahman. The waking, the dream, um, the causal, that is the, the perceptive world, waking world, the dream world and the causal world and the beyond, they are one reality. So that's why it is the true Advaita. It is not ultimately a monism which discards this experience. So that is what Shurabindu says. So in fact, Shurabindu heals the contradiction which the mind of man has made by its excessive tendency towards Samadhi. Which is what at least I had found in most of the spiritual literature that ultimately it is Samadhi. Ultimately it is Samadhi. And this used to be my question. If a Samadhi is ultimate and merger with the divine, then why this world has been created? Till I too read this Upanishad that the Chatushpad Brahman, it was like an eye-opener. And then, yes, Sri says that all this is one Brahman. And the Gita puts it so beautifully. We are trying to follow the reverse path. But from the divine point of view, it's the Ashwat tree. From top, it is spreading out. So we have to become one with that reality, without a doubt. But becoming one with that reality is not through a withdrawal into that state of Samadhi, absorption, wherein we discard the world. But we have to become one with it while living, conscious and even in the waking consciousness, manifest that reality. So this is the difference and that's how the contradiction is healed. Here is the second question of Dr. Bhil. Of course, uh, your answer to the first question 
has uh, explained partly uh, a part of this question, uh, but still there is another aspect uh, uh, which you may please uh, discuss. Uh, the, uh, let me read out the question. The concept of the evolution of consciousness and the other members following it evidently holds good only to the state of waking because evolution does not apply to other three states, Swapna, Shushupti and Turiya. Then does it not mean that Sri Aravindo's philosophy is interested in explaining or elaborating only waking state rather than the other three? And if he were to extend this concept of evolution or the transformation up to the Brahman itself, then does it not fall into the category of anti-Vedic philosophy? Because the Vedanta philosophy evidently negates any parinama or transformation with the Brahman. Or why can this not be placed side by side with that of the Sankhya, that is a Sheshwar Sankhya, Ishwara Sahita Sankhya, Mimamsa? Okay. So, I think this is very simple. So, evolution is not only of the material nature, uh, the waking state, there is also an inner evolution, there is the soul evolution. So, if we look at the, even the tradition, in the Vedantic idea, evolution is not uh, what we read in the Western literature, which is only evolution of forms. But, in Vedantic idea, there is a parallel evolution which is going within. That's why the 84 lakh yonis or whatever comes into existence is that there is the soul which is growing through different forms till it reaches a point of development where it can perceive and conceive the divine. If there was no inner evolution going on, then the first life would have been enough to realize the divine. But the reason why there is life after life through death, we grow towards an evolutionary phase, which is what the Upanishad, Isha Upanishad says so beautifully. It says, Avidyam Rityum Tirtva Vidyam Amrita Mashnute. So, you know, there is an evolution which takes place in Avidya and there is an, you know, further which is in Vidya. So, the soul must first realize what it is, who it is, uh, by going through the doors of death. So, this is the first part. Evolution is not only referring to the waking state, but the dream state. Even our real life, we realize it. So, when we grow in consciousness, don't our thoughts and feelings in the dream world change? Of course, I understand that uh, Hiranagarbi is not just about my thoughts and dreams and feelings, which entire thing is still a play within the ego. But then, if we go even deeper than that, there is the idea of force, which begins to change. And where does all this idea of forces that changes come from? So, they are coming again from the same, because there is only one creator. Hiranagarbi, as he describes the author of thoughts and who creates even in his you know omniscient sleep. So, it is evolution of material nature is the last thing that he is speaking about, is the final tangible result. But ultimately, the soul must first evolve and arrive at its oneness with the divine. Then, based on that, there is the first step. Our inner consciousness must change and be transformed, which is the equivalent of the, you know, Hiranigarb. And uh, then the outer manifested universe must evolve. He is not speaking of transformation of Brahman at all. Brahman is a state of consciousness and it is the stable basis behind all things. Surely he is not speaking of transformation of Brahman. He is only speaking of transformation of nature and the instruments built by nature and the consciousness which is... Uh, circumscribing itself in an individual. That's all he's speaking about. Uh, Brahman is the basis. There is no transformation of Brahman. So, uh, what he's speaking about is that as an individual, we experience the one consciousness in a very limited way. That's what is ignorance. And this limitation is due to ego. 
and we are bound by it through ignorance and desire this is common to all vedantic philosophy so we have to f- get free from that now there are different ways of getting free from that but what happens when we get free from that we enter into the larger cosmic consciousness but there also the ignorance pursues us so now he is asking us to take the next step that out of cosmic ignorance we must enter into cosmic truth and then we will realize that still greater you know um individual universal and the transcendent state so he is actually giving a new sense to evolution that in vedantic idea evolution of the individual soul arriving at moksha but is not each soul ultimately from the deepest reality interconnected with all the souls are they separate reality so this is the last satvik illusion that i am separate from x y z and my liberation should be my concern so it becomes a very egoistic selfish approach uh, where we are each busy with our own evolution but there is a collective dimension to existence and each soul is a portion of the eternal and therefore he brings in that element of the individual soul arriving at the universal consciousness individual freedom then the cosmic consciousness and then of course the transcendent all three as one transcendent is the eternal source from there we must draw the power to change things now of course it's different that divine mother has made it easy but even in savitri what does she do she goes right up to the ultimate but what does she do in that ultimate she is given a choice to merge herself but instead she chooses the boon for earth and man it's a beautiful i think page 666 Uh, is the four boons of Savitri, where she brings that consciousness, that which is beyond the manifest and the unmanifest, that possibility which is still hidden in the absolute, that possibility which can transform earthly life. So the concern is about this, because this is where the problem lies. There, there is no problem. There we can easily go. The problem is here. So it is here that she brings that consciousness. So it is the. transformation of our inner consciousness of nature of the gunas of the instruments created by nature ultimately body brain everything so that the um, nirbad that is the word unobstructed play of the divine shakti no more diminished by the lower nature apara prakriti can take place through human vessels which will no more be human but transmuted divinely human vessels so this is the uh, thing he is speaking about and um, the third question is about uh, a grammatical aspect uh, pertaining to a few I lines know. of savitri <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah dr b see that is quotes uh, uh, yeah. a few lines from savitri uh, from page number 524 uh, i will not uh, read it out fully uh, only yeah. the first two lines are let me read out on the walls covered with significant shapes uh, looked at her the life scene of man and beast and the high meaning of the life gods and so on it goes Yeah, yeah. And then uh, he asks a question in the context. Uh, the last line is uh, heretic message of the climbing planes. Uh, then he asks this question against the background of these uh, lines of Savitri. In the above lines, which do you think is the main subjective class? Uh, therefore, I told it's a grammatical aspect, a grammatical question related yeah, to yeah. Uh, some lines. I don't see <laughs> any appropriate subject or noun class for the verbs looked and spoke in the text. there is no problem yeah. in deriving the general meaning of the text it can be done easily also but i want a clear grammatical explanation for this please allow <laughs> see this is uh, i can answer but as he said from the general meaning uh, uh, with regard to shurbindo's english you know i can only say uh, <laughs> compared to any of us his mastery over the english language was so 
um, perfect. So if we are not able to find, uh, all that we can say is that there is no grammatical error. But what is, uh, probably you know one has to learn more about grammar and understand that uh, a general meaning I can easily derive. That you know, when we look at the subject, who is the subject in that state of consciousness where one is going through the entire hierarchy of the planes. That's where, uh, you know, there is the inlook. So who is the subject? The subject is only one subject. He need not be something visible, tangible. So the subjective clause, he looked or he saw, that is not there. Obviously it is missing. But there is the one subject which alone exists. So this way we, uh, we can understand. But I would not like to comment actually on Shrivindu's English. I remember V.K. Gokak saying something very interesting when he was asked uh, the, uh, again about Shrivindu's English. He said something wonderful that uh, it is not English that Shirobindo speaks. What Shirobindo speaks is English. He has given a lot of new aspects to the language itself. So, in all humility, I would uh, say that, well, uh, what Shirobindo speaks in English, even just purely from the outer point of view, if <laughs> there ever is, uh, you know, men like Bertrand Russell who read his English said, this is something so... Uh, beyond me. So, you know, as an English expert, there have been many people who have tried to understand his English. But I suppose that's, as he's rightly said, that's not the important part. We can enter into not only that, there are several places in Savitri where uh, people speak about the comma and the full stop. But, uh, you know, I leave it at that. Let, let Shirobindo explain his own English because he only can say uh, where is the subject. It's a purely grammatical question. So, yeah, I would not uh, elaborate on this. Uh, to elaborate on this would be for me like, you know, uh, trying to analyze the master's language. So my heart would not, you know, <laughs> sanction this. <laughs> okay, so we can go yes. to the next question. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I shall be uh, taking up the questions of uh, another scholar, Sri Vidyasavedaji. Uh, yeah. uh, his first question is about uh, the nature of Sri Aurobindo's philosophy. Uh, he yeah. says, in ultimate analysis, however we may call Sri Aurobindo's philosophy as uh, integral Advaita, does uh, this philosophy, that is Sri Aurobindo's philosophy, imply dualism? So, as I said, that it is uh, all of the above or here in this context, both of the above and none of the above. So, he does believe in the individual existence of individual souls, which are finite souls and yet they are immutable in the ultimate sense of the world, in the sense that they are indestructible. But he believes in the evolution of the soul to develop into a full-fledged psychic being. So, both aspects are there and plus something else. So, if there is the dualism, the soul is a portion of the divine. So, to that extent, which wants to unite with the divine, it unites with the divine. And yet, it... Uh, it is meant to be a unique mode of expression of the infinite. So if I have to take these three schools which exist, I would not say that it is dualistic, but if at all, if at all remotely a school of philosophy comes close to it, it is Vishishtadvaita, which is, you know, the qualified uh, monism, that there is the essential unity of the soul, and as far as soul is concerned, yet it is a unique mode of expression of the divine, of the one. So to that extent, yes. But then there is a lot more. So that will be to oversimplify it. So, as I said in my uh, initial presentation, all the three aspects are there. And um, there are three different ways, isolated ways of looking at things. But Sri not only leaves it as uh, Visishtadvaita, as some people like to call it, 
that there is the soul which is an eternal portion of the divine and it has to realize itself but also it is a unique mode to express itself he takes it many steps further because in visishta dvaita you have to still ultimately find the moksha but here it is about becoming the channel and instrument for the manifestation of the divine for the sake of the leela this we don't find in any of the schools even the dualistic school or the non dual obviously not but the closest that comes is the visishta dvaita but even there ultimate goal is moksha so none of them would really apply to shirbindo we have to look at him afresh and seek the answers to the real question the real question is not philosophy but life life is full of suffering pain evil what is it due to it's very nice that there is a perfect consciousness out there but what is this due to one answer monism maya so who created maya which seems so real dualistic consciousness soul is attracted to the divine but all this experience is it only to impel us to attract toward the divine as some people would say which would sound very absurd that you know we are we go through all this suffering and pain and evil so that eventually we may feel drawn towards him so that again the field of nature remains uh, absolutely a strange situation and again the integral advaita where there is the uh, i mean in not integral advaita this is not the right way to look at it but the visishta advaita where there is the eternal portion and yet we have the unique mode of presentation of the divine that may come a little close but what is the purpose that is not there in any of them except moksha moksha in shobindu yoga is the first step so this is how we have to look at it Yeah. Uh, there is a related related question of Sri Jatavedaji. Uh, he says sometimes I feel Sri Arvindo is unnecessarily expanding uh, the journey of the soul, whereas Upanishads uh, command us to attain here and now. So uh, the command for attaining here and now is only that the soul wakes up and realizes the divine. But then the whole question is why all this drama? Here and now is fine. That we realize that is. definitely that particular aspect is the easiest i mean not as easy as but it is the easiest part and shubhendu also speaks of that it must wake up to realize what it is but does the matter end there the upanishad ends there that is the problem so soul has realized individually what about the work that is there what about the field in which it is there what about the countless beings who are suffering and in pain and evil do we just give them some humanitarian service some kind of aid free hospitals schools so that makes an absurdity of this whole creation so shurbindo's entire expansion is primarily to speak about the transformation of nature the instrument which has never been done and that's not even been conceived so he has to expand upon all this but expand it on the basis of the already existing schools of yoga and vedanta of course there are people who don't need that you know they just uh, are concerned about what this world is and why it is the way it is they don't need to go through these schools they understand that well there has to be some connection with the divine in some way so he gives us a sense of it so when we look at all the pages of shirbindo he gives us a new uh, outlook because he's dealing with manifestation he's not speaking of the, the soul awakening to the divine reality that is the easy part but then that doesn't explain anything about anything why this manifestation why this evil why this suffering what are the stages what is this rebirth theory why do we have to go through death rebirth and go through that complicated long standing process again and again there are many aspects of manifestation even education um, sports i would say you know eating food sleeping everything is manifestation so if you have to explain manifestation then you have to elaborate 
If you have to explain nothing and say, well, my soul is a portion of the divine and I wake up, fine. Though it's not as easy as that, because maybe when we wake up, uh, God may well say that, well, there was a purpose why you went there and you're very happy waking up. (laughs) So, what did you do for God's purpose beneath the stars? That is the question that he takes up. And it's all about manifestation. But manifestation without the divine has no meaning. So he has to connect it with the creator because so many, uh, you know, cobwebs have come into our mind. So we believe that, you know, manifestation is meaningless. It is illusory. It is maya. It is unreal. It is like a wave collapsing into the sea. I've heard these things. And I've often wondered if it's uh, as simple as wave collapsing into the sea. It's very easy to say. But uh, as a physician, I encounter people, well, I can say, one can say, all this is an experience of maya, one, one comes out of it. But then it's an extremely selfish uh, way of looking at the entire phenomenal world. And maybe it works with some, I mean, I don't say that uh, it is uh, wrong way of looking at it, but to me it looks very, very selfish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a doctor, I've seen. So, well, that apart, but we see in life, real life. So, we need to understand why Creator allowed this. So, that's where the involution and evolution, the entire thing comes. That, why this enigma? And what is its end point? Where is it leading us? If it was, my whole uh, question was, if it was ultimately to arrive at, oh, I wake up and realize, then the question is, who put me to sleep? I would like to know. Who trapped me in this dream world of all kinds of unrealities where uh, good and evil are walking side by side and one day he says, wake up from sleep. So, there are a lot of philosophies like that. We say that, you know, there was Kaal, there is Maya which has put us into it and God, time to time, there are saints who come and, you know, rescue us. But then it gives a lie to the creator because when we give a lie to creation, we give a lie to the creator. It makes an absurdity of it. So, that's... but. It, if it appeals, it appeals. But to me, it doesn't appeal. And to many people, it doesn't appeal because simply because it doesn't uh, tell us about our existence. Uh, uh, this withdrawal from life and creation is a possibility. Upanishads speak about it. But then it's something which does seem to the deeper innate sense in us an extremely selfish possibility. So that's what uh, here it is about the uh, let me go to the third question of Sri Jatvedaji. Uh, he yes. says, uh, in integral Advaita, what is the starting point of involution and what is the end point of evolution? As per integral Advaita, what happens when soul or Chaitya Purusha attains perfection? The invol- involution is complete, but the evolution is incomplete as it is not reaching the start- starting point of involution. That is how he presumes. Uh, whether she, therefore he asks a question whether Sri Arvindo has done complete justice to evolution from this point of view no no it does complete it cannot without uh, Sri Arvindo speaks of reclaiming the individual uh, cosmic and the transcendent all three states the soul must realize itself so it does complete itself but it doesn't fuse into it as he puts it like this that our purpose is not to lose ourselves in the divine perfection but to manifest without that there is no way that transformation can take place so shirvindo does speak of completing the soul's evolution to the starting point which is the original impulsion of the divine and to dwell in that state and now that original impulsion we have to embody and not the impulsions of the lower nature so obviously he does complete as you rightly 
passingly said it's an assumption without that it's impossible if we are in ignorance we can at best become ignorant instruments of the divine and well that is good like karma yoga we prepare ourselves but one has to realize the individual divine within the cosmic divine and the transcendent divine and the essential unity of all these three without that there is no manifest no participation in transformation of course it's a long journey so shrivindra takes into account all of them so yes it, he does speak of arriving at the point from where the involution began but he doesn't end with there that is the difference he ends up with uh, embodying that original impulsion so i can put it like this that imagine you know somebody begins to speak and has a you know stammering language ultimately wants to learn music he goes ultimately is to learn music from the uh, from shiva himself and he learned music so should he live with shiva forever or he should come back and express this music upon earth so he should express but how can he express the music of shiva if his instruments are not ready so that's where the whole difference comes we have it in the story of ganges there are many beautiful stories in indian thought which speak about it the story of ganges is again the same story that all the gandharvas they have become uh, distorted because you know people on earth are um, you know distorting the ragas so they say we can't help it because there is a reciprocity between the world and the subtle worlds gross and the subtle so they go to the uh, causal where you know we have the shiva and when shiva starts uh, singing and dancing with the perfect raga the divine perfection if we may use the word is a way of looking at the story then vishnu has the beautiful bhavas divine bhavas and uh, brahma takes that divine bhava in his kamandalu as the divine material for creation something which has not existed and then the ganges have to come down all the way and then ready marth so we have to reach that point of the origin but return back to redeem the earth this is the big difference it's like going into space and seeing wonderful possibilities second returning from there bringing in the internet it's just a very you know crude example so he completes it and takes it to the next level yes uh, the last question of shri gathway to the uh, is here uh, I, i assume that he is asking this question from the standpoint of those who Uh, start reading Sri Aurobindo and may find it difficult to understand the concept of a super mind and so on. So, standing in their shoes, I suppose he is asking this question: Does Sri Aurobindo compel us to dwell in a fantastic imagination of supposedly unrealistic goal of super mind? Okay, so I will answer this from the standpoint of you know that question. I, I can answer it that you know about the reality of the super mind and everything. Uh, this uh, charge is made even about Upanishadic Brahman realization, even about the soul. There are any number of materialistic thinkers in the West who say that the soul is all imagination. They say that re, uh, they say that they say that rebirth is all imagination. There are any number of individuals who say that Brahman reality is all imagination. So there is no end to imagination. But where then does imagination cease? if super mind is a fantastic imagination then so is brahman so is god so is divine none of these are so tangible one has to labor to reach there it's not about a mental concept the soul is imagination till we have realized it or a belief so who would be happy with a belief therefore shurbindo gives us a path to realize it so it's not a philosophy but also a yoga see vedanta is a philosophy born from yoga we can realize it by yoga or we can end up with a belief system 
So belief system is not, you know, to a typical materialistic thinker. I used to believe as an agnostic at some point of time that these are very fantastic things. There is a soul which is immortal, but I see I am operating upon a body. So there is no end to what fantastic imagination could be. But let me answer at this point. If it is a fantastic imagination, it is worth giving all of oneself to the fantastic imagination with complete faith in the tapasvi of tapasvi Sri Aurobindo than to live in this either dull drab reality which we call as real or be attracted towards a nirvana about which equally we don't know whether I mean from this standpoint I mean uh, okay one has one becomes aware of it through experience but about which from this point one doesn't know then what is the option left there are two options one either I put all my eggs in this material basket which is going to anyways crash if this body is all then actually nothing makes sense all this discussion philosophy advaita dvaita mysticism has no meaning if the if i start with the presumption that bodily appearance is all and all else is imagination because then one has to start from there unless one has realized then there is no end to uh, that state and this that makes no sense at all and other option is well i explore if there is a beyond now that is where one starts by taking the word of somebody who has found it that's what the upanishad says so now there are masters who have realized things and they give us a path so to start with it may sound fantastic but then there is a master who has realized this truth and he is giving us a possibility now there are other masters who say equally that no no supermind is too much come into the bandwagon of brahman and seek personal salvation now if i have to choose i would choose the transformation because this is too selfish for me but there are people who feel that it's worth trying it's a question of faith in the master who has realized and given us a path the paths are different if one has to realize the um, union with the brahman and disappear from creation this is valid shobinda himself says that there is a possibility like that there are souls which seek that withdrawal and it's fine with them and they trust in the master who has brought they also don't know so that's why faith in the master is the first condition for any such realization otherwise from the material we live with bandaged eyes bandaged with ignorance <laughs> we don't see anything i don't see beyond the tip of my nose i don't know what may happen tomorrow shobindu speaks about trikal drishti and there are several examples in his own life so when we look at his life read about his life we understand what this means but i supposing somebody doesn't have the trikal drishti one would say that well maybe by chance by coincidence you came to know what may happen tomorrow but with all our knowledge we can't see beyond the tip of the nose but what really is supermind what is so difficult supermind is the omniscience and omnipotence of god is it not operating everywhere in creation any which part we take we do take that the ishwara and is shakti and the divine is omniscient omnipotent and omnipresent this is a fundamental thing the only thing is adding to that is what is the purpose of this omniscience omnipotence and omnipresence which is taking place in this creation because if he is really omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient then we should not find this evil and suffering so that he explains the manifestation is not yet over so supermind that way is uh, something which we have grown up with mother's milk we didn't know it is supermind but when it is said god is omniscient omnipotent and omnipresent he is everywhere he sees from everywhere we are basically we are not using the word supermind but we are 
Speaking of that, why Shobinda uses a new word apart from the mystic lore and other, there are several reasons. Is because though we believe that there is omniscience, omnipotence of God, omnipresence of God, yet in our consciousness we lived with division. There is this life which is outer life, but his omnipotence and omniscience is only to withdraw me or time to time help me through intervention. So he's bridging the gulf that no, this omnipotence and omniscience is operating in creation. He gives examples at material nature at every level. How this omnipotence and omniscience is working. Several of my talks I have spoken about it. You pick up an atom and you will see omniscience which is working. And the omnipotence which is working. That entire galaxy. So, supermind is everywhere. There is nothing fantastic about it. It is the mind of the mind. What does the Ken Upanishad speak about? It doesn't use the word supermind. It says the mind of the mind. Only... He brings in this angle that that which is the mind of our mind, instead of withdrawing into it, you find it. Don't live within this narrow little, you know, dabba of the mind and opening to that manifest and express it in life and creation. That's the new thing he is bringing. And for that, he, you know, the overmind experience and the supermind, when we look at uh, that mind beyond the mind through the exp- layers, which are beyond our rational mind, but not yet into the ultimate reality, we still believe there is a schism. What is Yagnavalk saying when he says, Hiranmayana patrena satya syapihita mukham tattvam pushanna pavranu satya dharmai drishta. He is invoking the sun. Your face is covered with a golden lid. That is, that's not fantastic imagination of Isha Upanishad. What, what, what is the Rishi saying when he says, Vidyancha, Vidyancha, Yasta Dvedo Bhyam Saha? It's the same truth that they are trying to say. They, it's an old project. The Vedic rishis were trying to arrive at that power, that ultimate uh, truth, consciousness, which can transform earthly life. And they reached pretty high swarlok with the faculties of revelation, inspiration, intuition, uh, right action, rhythm. All this they could reach. Shobindo is taking it to the ultimate level because um, they saw that door and they saw that reality, the supermind. They speak about it. But opening the lid, earth was not ready and though rishis could reach that point. And they were not imagining things, I, at least I do believe now that they were not imagining things. They entered into the truth, the right, the vast, but the final opening of the door, Shubindu does. So he calls it supermind. And if the door is opened, what is impossible for God to, again I would take a real, um, you know, a very realistic approach. If God is omnipotent and omniscience, I will take a logical approach. Can he change me into his own divine nature? If he cannot, then he is not omniscience and omnipotence. Well, there would be conditions I understand. But if fundamentally he cannot change earthly life, then where is the omnipotence of the omniscience? Can he limit his omnipotence? If we say he cannot, then again he is not omnipotent. So what are we? It is the divine who has limited his omnipotence and omniscience. And there is a purpose in it. That's what evolution is. The tree limiting itself into a seed is involution. The seed evolving into the fullness of the tree and not vanishing into space. That is evolution. So that is how we have to look at it. It's very simple. And uh, if there is omnipotence and omniscience of God, uh, if, if there is an aspiration to change into the divine nature, which is the persistent aspiration of mankind, it is because we are told that the goal is to escape. Therefore, we some people feel there is no option. But the 
अल्टीमेट एस्पिरेशन इज फॉर टेरिस्टियल परफेक्शन राम राज्य और किंगडम ऑफ हेवन अपॉन अर्थ सो ही शोज इज द वे दैट येस गॉड्स ओमनी पोटेंस एंड ओमनीसियंस विच इज वॉट द डिवाइन शक्ति और द डिवाइन मदर इज अबाउट कैन डू इट इट्स In fact, is the most logical conclusion. It's from this that the question comes: If he is truly omnipotent and omniscient, why this is happening? So either we say that that reality is actually important; it can either be a witness or it can be enslaved. That is where the sankhya comes in with its imperfect answer. Either it is subject to nature or it can withdraw itself. Then there is no question of the shakti, and there is no transformation. But if he is omnipotent and omniscient. transformation of nature and earthly life is the most logical thing because if at the root of creation there is the omnipotence omnipresence and omniscience then ultimately that is going to emerge as is the seed so is going to be the tree if it is the divine who willed ekoham bahushyam as we find in the kathopanishad then it has to become like divine so it is very logical to understand but yes ultimately it's a question of faith and um, uh, i prefer if talking of imagination metaphorically i prefer the imagination of the remote distant possibility than this sordid nightmarish imagination because ultimately even this physical world that we experience through the senses from a purely intellectual point of view is nothing but imagination it could equally be said because ultimately the senses are weaving reality so if that is an imagination then that is at least i would prefer a, i mean i am saying from the complete ignorance point of view that that is a better imagination imagine beautiful things rather than imagine this sordid earthly reality or imagine an individual hasty escape into an imaginary reality which is actually a non reality nothingness that uh, sounds illogical okay so uh, uh, next question is about the concept of chaitya purusha though there are four aspects uh, the there are four different questions i will consider them as a four different aspects of the single question so i will read out all of them together uh, geeta talks about the concept of akshara purusha if akshara purusha means something which is modifiable what is the difference between akshara purusha and chaitya purusha which also evolves here can we equate a modifiable entity with an evolving entity second aspect of the question can we consider the concept of psychic being as a unique contribution of sri aravindo third is it possible to synthesize dvaita vishishta dvaita and advaita by using the concept of psychic being and last aspect of the question can the concept of psychic being be viewed as a kind of missing link that solves the apparently conflicting standpoints of the three main schools of uh, vedanta philosophy that is dvaita vishishta dvaita and advaita okay so i think i already touched upon this but just to slightly more make it precise so shar purusha akshar purusha and the purushottama uttama purusha are the three poises of the divine and the same thing the soul also experiences as i said it can enter into the sharubhav and it seems to be driven by nature when it separates itself realizes that it is distinct from nature for the sake of uh, you know experiencing its own individual freedom then it is sakshi and then it is the master over nature it becomes the um ish anumanta and the ish so this is how the um, uh, we can draw a parallel but shar purusha is not similar to psychic being shar purusha is the relation of the purusha and the prakriti it enters into the mutable becoming divine himself enters into the mutable becoming 
and the soul also enters into the immutable becoming. So these are the two truths which simultaneously enter into the mutable becoming. That's why very often we see the image of the divine uh, holding the uh, as the baby, the soul within. So both have entered into the mutable becoming. But what is happening? Through this process, why has he entered into the mutable becoming? Because this mutable becoming is the becoming of the same being. This becoming must blossom into the fullness of the divine manifestation. That's why they have entered. So let's, let me put it in a certain figurative way. Both um, the divine and the psychic or the soul have entered into a uh, big mega divine project. And the project is make this field of inconscience, Kshetra, into a um, garden of God. Let's put it like that. So in this process, as creation evolves... The soul evolves and as the soul evolves, creation evolves. So both there is a um, co-dependence like nature. So to take that example that you want to uh, make this field into something very beautiful, you have to build a building. So you want to build a building, you have to get plants. So again you have to discover those new variety of plants and you have to prepare the field, khad and everything. And as they come, your work also increases. You learn, you grow by this experience and you create this place which is more and more beautiful. So the frightening, nightmarish experience when the ground is horrible and the joyous experience when the field changes into something beautiful. So this is how we have to look at it that there is a relation between the soul and nature. They are not two separate, but they are one reality which manifests as uh, two distinct uh, poises and as the soul grows into a fully developed uh, being when it realizes its own divine possibility uh, that it is a mode of expression of the divine then we use the word psychic being so psychic being is the soul which has put on a full-fledged psychic personality meaning thereby it has a true mental true vital true physical and not just this ego-bound mental physical uh, vital complex so it puts out a true personality, meaning thereby when its thoughts are completely the thought of the divine. When its love is just the divine love which is using an individual channel. When its life is nothing but a rhythm or the flow of the divine force and not just an individual life. When its very bodily substance is nothing else but the substance of the divine which is beginning to, that's the last change of course, uh, which is beginning to express the divine at the most physical level. The divine ananda, the divine existence, uh, the divine consciousness, which of course is the ultimate. So this is how the psychic uh, being evolves. When it evolves into a full-fledged thing, it puts on a psychic personality, which becomes a notice for the divine manifestation upon earth. That is how one has to understand Shubindu's yoga uh, or the yoga philosophy. So, uh, modifiable entity with the evolving entity. So, as I said, the Sharobhav, what is the Sharobhav? It's a changing, ever mutable nature. But then it leaves us nowhere. Is there something happening in nature? That's where Shubhindu brings in that it is not just the soul which is evolving but nature too is moving towards its own heights. And we can understand it like you know there was a kind of thought at some point of time. Then human thought advances. So that's called evolution. When individually we think better, we are better equipped with uh, greater faculties. So nature has many other faculties which are asleep within it which it will bring out through this process of evolution. And uh, yes, it's very true that uh, one of the unique contribution of Shirobindo is the psychic being. But this is only one. That this inferior nature, Aparaprakriti, is a front piece of Paraprakriti. 
and it is not forever. The we can become directly moved by the paraprakriti. To take that example, that you know, um, the steam engine or the coal engine can upgrade into steam engine, upgrade into electrical engine, diesel engine, electrical engine, and one day solar powered engine. So right now we are moved by aparaprakriti, the lower nature. But this lower nature can be transformed, and we can become moved by the higher super nature. This is the second important aspect. The third important aspect is the instruments themselves can be transformed. The hands, the feet, and everything, uh, because they have to now receive that higher current. They cannot right now. All our instruments are attuned to lower nature, animal nature, rakshasic nature, asuric nature. They should be transformed first into godlike nature, and then the divine nature. So this is the process. Kain Upanishad hints at it, but leaves it at that. So this is the uh, this aspect of transformation of nature and instrument one doesn't find in Vedanta because Vedantic schools are primarily concerned with the relation of soul with the reality and with its eventual liberation. They don't. They are not concerned with nature. It's Tantra which is concerned with nature. So Shurabindo combines the two. In fact, he says our yoga. Um, starts with the method of Vedanta to the goal of Tantra, which is the fullness, the divine enjoyment. These are all uh, new things. He he gives us the real sense of the purpose of the Leela, which is not to escape, but to manifest the divine in all its fullness. He gives us this idea that man is a transitional being. He is not the ultimate of creation from where he is to be drawn into the ineffable. He is a middle transitional state and there is something greater than man is to come, which is inevitable in the logic of creation. If you look at it, it's very logical. So, Shurabindo is ultimately, on many points, there are many unique elements that he brings it. The schools of Advaita philosophy, fundamentally, that there is one reality, yes, it starts from there. And that reality is the omnipresent reality. Uh, that is the fundamental truth from where he starts. And then he develops upon it. Nature is conscious force. He develops upon it and takes it to many, many um, levels which are implicit if we look at closely at these schools, but they have never been made explicit. So this is where we see, yes, psychic being is one of the unique contributions. Is it possible to synthesize Dvaita, Visishta Dvaita by using the concept of the psychic being even without it? As I said, there are three different ways of looking at one reality. So the psychic being as an eternal portion of the divine, loving the divine, longing for the divine is Dvaita. The psychic being knowing that it is the eternal portion of the divine, one with the divine, and yet differentiated in manifestation is Visishtadvaita. The psychic being knowing its utter unity, that I am none else but him, that is Advaita. And all these three experiences come in Shurabindu's Yoga and much more. So, as I said, uh, these three schools are three standpoints. There are, but one has to synthesize. One standpoint means one has not had the complete vision. So Shubindu takes us to that. And yes, the concept of psychic being is the missing link that solves the apparently conflicting. So I wouldn't say that it solves the conflicting schools because that's not really the purpose of philosophy. But it is the missing link between creation and creator. So all the three schools of philosophy, they do not give us the real sense or the relation between creation and the creator. But the psychic being entering into earth consciousness and evolving through that process and toward the fullness of the divine manifestation is the missing link between the creation and the creator. Otherwise, we see that there is 
Suddenly there is creation, there is Maya and there is the Brahman. So what about the individual? It is the ego and he is unreal. So it doesn't make sense. So ultimately all the schools, even where you accept the multiplicity of souls, even that is regarded as a reflection, like the sun ray is reflecting. It's not really, really multiple. So then, if there is no individuality, there is no individual soul, then what is the relation between creator and creation? Why did he create all this and who is really getting freedom if all this is simply a reflection and not truth? So there are many missing links in uh, philosophy. In the Western philosophy is grossly incomplete, but even in Indian Vedantic philosophy, there are many missing links because uh, the rishis who realized a lot, that last step, they were opening the door, that's where they are, we see struggling with. They have reached that swar lok, from there they want, they see the mahar lok, that golden lid, but to open it was the big enigma. And Shurabindu enters that door and comes back. And then everything changes. So that's what the supermind is. The Vedic Rishi saw it through a glimmering lid. And Shurabindu entered the lid, went beyond, where none would dare to go in a living body and comes back. And then he opens, prepares mankind and opens the lid for everyone, which is something very powerful and very beautiful. Okay, so I think uh, we have can we take one or two last questions from those who are uh, uh, participating uh, Alokji? Yes, we can take a question and also we can uh, we can email or you know if people are interested we can probably some other time uh, sir, uh, another session. Uh, yes, can I ask a question? Yes, yes, please. I'm uh, Dr. Chandra Mowdy. Uh, just I want to know that what is the takes on uh, Nimitta and Upadana about the truth, action and the reality. Nimit and the? Nimitta and Upadana about uh, truth, action and the reality. Okay, the reality as we experience or reality as it exists? Because our perception of reality is still incomplete. Our senses are yet in the process of developing. So, well, I am answering it the way I have understood it. That there is an action of truth, but that action in the soul is revealed as a soul impulsion, the sabhava and the sudharma. But our senses, our apparatus which nature has built is not yet ready to manifest that reality. So it gets distorted. So what we look at this world is not an illusion, but it is a distortion. And as our instruments of senses and action get more and more uh, you know, liberated from ignorance, transformed, as our inner consciousness gets transformed, then we'll be able to remove that distortion and experience and participate in this reality as we should, as truth itself participates in it. So that's how one has to understand you know, uh, these two. Uh, what is the Nimitta and Upadana in this? So Nimitta is the instrumental uh, nature, that's what you are speaking of. No, Nimitta is called uh, actually... Uh, Instrument. No, Nimitta is uh, intelligence. Upadana is okay. the material thing. I mean, uh, yes. Uh, for example, yes, a carpenter is uh, making a table. Yes. His uh, expertise is Nimitta. And uh, what yes. is the Upadana? Like that, okay. like that, on the truth, action, the reality, 
what is the takes on this from the so Arabian obviously day? as i gave the example of a musician so uh, we are what the carpenter's intelligence and the uh, let's say the wood they are both yet a limitation they cannot fully receive the truth and express it so the carpenter has to upgrade his intelligence to become vishwakarma to put it like that and the wood has to evolve into a substance uh, through which truth creations can be made right now we are not building truth creations because one our intelligence cannot receive it rightly and second the instrument through which it operates they are very limited so that's why he speaks about the transformation of nature so truth action doesn't take place directly and openly in the world so shabindu says that this idea that everything is done by the divine uh, well it is distorted that's what i was saying that you know it is by a transformation of the inner consciousness even the intelligence which is yet not the luminous mirror that can reflect fully uh, the divine light therefore first distortion takes place at the level uh, of the mind or the mental intelligence right now we have the in- mental intelligence this mental intelligence uh, has to upgrade itself and arrive at the divine intelligence the divine knowledge the divine gnosis and then the instrument themselves have to be changed to be able to express this uh, divine knowledge which is truth into tangible action into uh, you know building things uh, upon earth interstellar creation we can take one last question i suppose um, uh, kanika you can ask the question uh, thank you very much sir uh, sir from the from the talk this evening what i have uh, understood is that faith based evolution is is very important to the teachings and uh, you also mentioned that in death also the soul continues to transform and evolve so as a person today kanika kohli in this life what is a way to for me to experience or experience a proof of this evolution that over the years or over the lifetimes i have evolved or transformed in my life what is the teaching and beyond that that is a very valid question so faith is a starting point it is not the end point so anything in life starts with faith when i study physics i have faith in my teacher and then he says that there are ways you can yourself uh, uh, do the experiment and find so all yoga is about that so the the only way we can discover it is not by an intellectual process but if there is the soul which transmigrates then we have to discover the soul where the soul memories are embedded now there are indirect evidences which are plenty indirect evidences are there that people start i mean this is a traditional way of explaining that people start at different levels in their inner evolution that is a fact we observe there are people who from childhood like shukdev are turned towards higher truths there are people who are completely submerged in material world and that's why in indian thought we had the fourfold order the evolution from the most physical consciousness to the most uh, higher and higher mental consciousness to a spiritual being but whether i have gone through this or not personally we can discover only when we find the soul and there is a way to do it and yes we should engage in that because that is the only thing worth doing <laughs> to start with so only full proof evidence will be to discover the soul faith is a starting point only it should not become otherwise we'll become another belief system there is the soul within it goes through rebirth re- reward punishment and you know 84 lakh yoni none of which will be real to us 
We must reproduce it in our own experience. So thanks to Mother and Shri they say that there is a way and you can find it and the people have found it. So you know, it's like, but yes, one has to put in effort. It won't happen automatically. That's true. But obviously to find it, try to find it, there has to be starting point is faith. How will we otherwise even put any effort? So, Sir, so we will be able to find that out for this life only, but we would not. Is there a way to actually discover? You will know over- it. When you touch the soul, you will know about many of your previous lives. Not all of them, but many soul memories you will know it. Precisely because those memories are embedded in the soul. But they are not like, you know, the ego personality will not be remembered. But the soul moments in a particular lifetime, they will be remembered. For instance, you will not remember that I was this king and that person, I was a monkey on the, you know, uh, along the branches. They are fantastic stories. But all the soul moments, so there is a physical memory, there is a mental memory, there is a vital memory, there is an emotional memory and there is a psychic memory. Psychic memory which goes with the soul are those moments when in some way or the other, we connected with a higher reality or a greater reality. And there are corresponding circumstances with that memory. Let's say for instance somebody was going to the gallows. At that point in an intense moment one experienced some contact. So if you touch the psychic being you will remember that moment of going to the gallows and then you will obviously know who that person was but not every detail of that life. I mean that that is another way of retrieving it but that's a different it's a you know wasted exercise. Equally one may know a moment when one while gazing at the sea had a tremendous opening and an inner experience. And that moment, uh, the dress, maybe the situation, maybe the circumstance, even the where exactly one was, that memory will come back. So like that, one can, um, you know, thread the entire sequence of lives. But then when you discover the soul, you will also know what you are destined to become. So that's more fascinating <laughs> because then one wants to know which way one is going and what one is meant to express in the future. That's a much more fascinating thing. Thank you for mentioning you see that, sir. Because yeah. uh, if, if allowed, sir, I have one uh, uh, continuing question to yes, follow yes, up please, for yes, that. Please. Yes, sir, please. So yes, you please. said that uh, a person will get to know what is the purpose for this life. So I've had several scholarly discussions around that, that, uh, you know, sometimes some people say that they feel that this is their last life and maybe they are going to, you know, going for moksha. And you mentioned that Sri Aurobindo mentions that that is the first step, of course. So how does one connect with that? And if someone gets that feeling, how does one transcend to beyond this feeling of moksha and uh, actually achieve something uh, higher than that or go to the extent. Well, as I said, it depends upon the individual. Uh, first of all, this is the last life only somebody can say in whom all the desires have been extinguished and the ego sense is gone and the true psychic individuality has come out. Feeling is one thing that you know everybody believes this is the last life. There is a very nice poem of Shirobindo and where he says, He... Uh, um, he said, I am egoless free, but sore because his dinner was not ready. You know, Sri Ramakrishna's life, he describes that experience when um, there was this guru coming with a whole entourage of uh, people and uh, he said, what does it matter? Myself is free. So whether I am carrying an entourage of women with me, what does it matter? And uh, Sri Ramakrishna is reported to have said, I spit on your Vedanta. Well, it's one thing to say that I am free, but 
if, as long as one is still in the grip of ignorance in some place or the other. So if that is what freedom is about, realizing the soul, then many people would say that claim that I am free, this is nature. And they would be right. After all, if freedom of the soul from nature is the soul object and nature continues the way it is, then it has made no difference to anyone, to me or to anybody else in this universe. And second, it makes this whole journey so purposeless. So if you ask me purely intellectually, that, then what was the big drama about? If moksha was the end point, to return where we started from, why did we strain to this jungle at all? Why? And this is not a very pleasant jungle. If the jungle is pleasant, I understand. But a jungle where there are deadly pythons and uh, energies which are, you know, demonic. Why entered into this at all? To go through pain, pleasure, suffering. At the end you say, no, no, you please come back into moksha. So it gives a lie. It leaves a great lacuna in thought. And... Human thought cannot be long satisfied with this kind of a half-finished story. So, Shobindu completes that story that no, wait, picture abhi baki hai, drama is uh, yet to come and moksha is only one step for participating now consciously in the drama or the epic of creation, epic story of creation. At least we discover our own role into it. So, yes, uh, I mean, but it's okay. Those who believe, yes, you know, belief is something which is very individual and one should not interfere with it. It's perfectly fine, but it makes the whole thing very selfish and gives, makes this creation seem so absurd. And God himself a monster who would devise all these trapdoors, pitfalls, errors and at the end says, you know, this was Maya. I'm sorry, this was a play of illusions. But you can have moksha. I don't know, I mean, my thought uh, doesn't and my heart has never accepted this. It always found this extremely selfish. But then it's okay, <laughs> as I said. <laughs> One has to consult one's own heart and see there. What is the calling? Thank you for that perspective, sir. I, sh- I shall uh, delve deeper into that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We have had a wonderful interaction with uh, Sri Alokji. I invite uh, Sri Ramesh Sargurdi to offer our immense gratitude to Sri Alokji. Namaste and pranams to Alokji. Namaste, sir. Namaste, namaste, namaste. Uh, we have been listening to your talks very intently and we have been enjoying your talks on the YouTube. But our aspiration to be with you and our aspiration to interact with you has been made a reality today by the grace of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother. We experience the flowing grace through you. We are really grateful to you, indebted to you for taking up all the intricate questions. Most of them are metaphysical. Some of them are objections. Some of them are confusions. You view your light of tapasya and share within those thoughts and all these uh, aspects of the divinity. Unfortunately, human mind places one aspect of the divine against the other and goes on creating a conflict within one divine, which is absolutely illusory, which is not there. Hence the uh, philosophies and the different schools. 
and today is also a very great a significant day for the people of karnataka especially to be with you because today is june 14th i don't know why you chose chose this day today is shri mp pandit's uh, birth anniversary is a unique contribution from karnataka to pandicherry ashram so we are in this uh, you know uh, following his footsteps and he is our role model and he has written uh, very very uh, voluminously on mother and sherbindu and he has also unraveled all the intricate things today we experienced it for jatavedas question regarding the final duality whether sherbindu's philosophy is ultimately dual is asking i remembered one thing as you explained in the ultimate perfection uh, there is if you want sherbindu said delayed giving duality is there that is the phrase quote and unquote that delayed giving duality is actually fulfills the unity and that is a secret which is beyond the unity to towards which sherbindu and the mother are leading us today it is almost like uh, you have uh, untied the knots of the riddle of the world connecting the creator with the creation which is the central problem in all the philosophies where some of them stand incomplete and cannot answer all the questions which uh, human consciousness is asking in the modern age which shervinda has taken up and uh, uh, all the questions have been answered mother says if you read the life divine completely almost all the questions will be answered by the time you complete uh, your studies so we have been making a sincere attempt uh, to study uh, mother and share with you but today we are immensely benefited by you sir this satsang of course to satsang acts as a effective and sacred link in the collective evolution uh, towards which the india is emerging uh, uh, although it, the work is not very very clear on the surface slowly it is picking up and slowly the supramental is slipping into the manifestation and preparing the minds sometimes with our knowledge and sometimes without so uh, today is really a blessed day for us on behalf of all the participants and aspirants devotees sadhaks jignasus mumukshus in the satsang today uh, on behalf of shri mata arvinda purna yoga balaga our uh, infinite uh, pranams to you and to the mother and sherbindu in you sir thank you very much we are grateful to you sir